and welcome to Combat Thoughts. I'm Robbie. I'm Lee. And I'm Alex. We're going to take a deeper look at culture and philosophy behind martial arts. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Combat Thoughts. In this episode, we're continuing our MMA origin stories and another ex-teammate from Exile. This week, we've got Mark Wade on. We're talking to Mark about his origins in MMA, uh, you know, his experience with the sport, and really we're focusing on the transition to turning pro and the difference that a lot of guys find. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, yeah, no, so I mean, first taste of martial arts for me was just, yeah, primary school um another kid in my class did judo so i just went along with him one night um that got me started in martial arts just to begin with um for about three or four years and then got to secondary school stopped with judo went sort of football and then just kind of fell out of sport altogether to be honest from about like mid kind of secondary school um and then didn't find any kind of sport again until uni. And that was judo again. Um, yeah, don't don't really know why. And like, yeah, you know, had a big, big Mohican and piercings and all sorts of shit at uni. Um, so I don't know what got me back into, into judo. Is there any reason you went back to the martial arts side of things when you got to uni? Because you could have done anything. Really know. Like- I can't really think, yeah, that's the thing. I can't think of a single thing, you know what I mean? It's like people that you always hear, like, oh, yeah, like, um, like Jean-Claude Van Damme was my hero or, or uh, watching Rocky or any of this sort of stuff. But, I, yeah, I mean, really everything I was, you know, I was living like a really typical student lifestyle. Uh, you know, I was not in any way set up for getting involved in combat sports at that time. Um So I've got no idea what it was. But then, I mean, that kind of, you know, the whole kind of progression to where I am has kind of been a little bit like that. It's like, first time I saw MMA was, you know, old clips of pride and soccer kicks and head stomps. And I was just like, man, I'm not not interested in this. That doesn't appeal to me at all. And then, yeah, progress now. And, you know, I've fought pro and done all sorts. So... Yeah, it's it. It was all kind of just ha- almost haphazard. I never set out to compete in MMA or, or anything like that. You got lured in by a good table at a freshers' fair. Exactly, that's it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that could have even been it, you know. Like, yeah, going around, sort of the. It happens to people. I signed up for the American yeah. football team. I'm five foot seven. Yeah, one of my housemates is the same. <laughs> One of my housemates did the same. He even he got involved in cheerleading as a way to meet cheerleaders. He claims, um, which makes sense, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I can't fault the logic. Yeah, like, I know. Well, yeah, if you're going to meet cheerleaders, the cheerleading squad is probably the place to uh, the place to go, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a guy um, joining the MMA society at university. Um, that choice was obviously not motivated by trying to meet girls, uh, and it was not yeah. a strong choice there. There was a <laughs> sausage fest of a club. Um, yeah. I, th- I like to think that we kind of balanced the ratios out a bit and made it a bit more inviting by the end, but not when I joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always like that, isn't it? like anything like that. And I guess that, I don't know, it's like that MMA as a whole now, isn't it? You're seeing so many more 
women getting involved and you still hear those guys been like oh no i can't watch a woman get smacked in the face and stuff and it's like oh, it's, it's it's a sport man like they're athletes they're just doing their thing <laughs> but yeah that's what I'm yeah so so how long was the judo your main focus for when you got to university uh probably not even a massive amount of time maybe like six months something like that um oh really yeah so it wasn't huge i've kind of i've got back into it um but the the rules had changed a lot from like when i was a kid um you know even down to things like you can't grab the legs and so essentially like a double leg you know being illegal and uh, yeah all that sort of stuff um the ability to like grade without competing that had come in so you could get black belts that had never actually fought in competition um it was all, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a pet peeve of Robbie's, that one. Yeah, it's, it's just a bit weird. Like, I remember, yeah, certainly when I was a kid, you know, you, you, you fought for your grade, you know. Um, you had to know the theory and stuff for each belt and whatever, but ultimately, if you couldn't, yeah, if you couldn't compete and, and earn your, your belt, then you, you didn't get it. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that always... It's kind of a fine line. I mean, I'm not against people being able to grade without winning. I don't think that that should be the prerequisite. The fact that you should, um, you know, have to be a champion in your in blue belt to become a purple belt or something like that. And I also don't think that you should force people to compete to grade. Like, you know, especially the older guys doing it kind yeah, of would yeah, definitely yeah. like them to be able to progress. Yeah. But I just don't understand why people who are sort of you know of sound body and mm. doing the sport in their youth and it's not mm. a sport where you're going to get head trauma how you'd get to yeah. black belt without in a martial art without doing any of the martial bit of it <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing i think for me as well i mean i i do kind of get it like i've known people who just you know do a they do a martial art just it's just a hobby at the end of the day um they just do it in their spare time something to fill their evenings with they're not they're not worried about competing but if that person was to get a black belt in two years or three years you're then a bit like well how does how does that work you know um it's like you know lo loads of people i know do who do bjj they've got no real interest in competing bjj and that's fine they can go on and they, they can grade really well I, yeah i don't think you have to compete to grade i think it yeah, again, like I say, it's a, it's a fine line, isn't it? It, 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 it? If you're not competing, but you still earn a black belt in a very short space of time, that seems a little bit odd. And like you say, a martial art. Yeah, I mean, I do kind of get it with jiu-jitsu, actually, and, and maybe judo as well to an extent, because you can train those sports 100% in class and go for it you are mm. still competing in a role whether it's a competition or otherwise um, yeah. but I, I mean I always always think that jiu-jitsu especially pushes people towards competing I mean yeah. I don't know any other martial art where as many people compete as in jiu-jitsu and people who wouldn't you wouldn't expect to compete always seem to jump in well, even mm. if it's just for one or two there's something about jiu-jitsu yeah. that really encourages people to do it Mm. I think yeah certainly with, with jiu-jitsu it's kind of um 
certainly recently it's got a real reputation of being just like an all-encompassing kind of very welcoming sport for people you know so you do get you know you'll, you'll be on the mats with all sorts of people like I you know I've trained with like guys who like brickies and carpenters and barbers like myself and then you've got guys who are like working a lab where they you know they're surgeons they're doctors such a mix of people training together and then they're still comfortable to then go and compete because again even the competitions are quite I've always found anyway to myself they're they're relatively uh unintimidating um obviously you get your you know your gyms all sat together in their matching t-shirts and all this sort of stuff and then you know you get your odd kind of coaches flaring up and having fights on the mats and stuff like that every <laughs> so often um, when decisions don't quite go their way but I don't know I think yeah it, it people like to oh, I'll just see how I get on I, I you know I want the experience yeah. I want the adrenaline rush I'll see what all the fuss is about yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I've definitely seen my coach um, screaming at referees, especially yeah. here and there, for, for points not allocated. But um, <laughs> but, but the, point, yeah. the point system surely is a whole other can of worms. Yeah, yeah we'll, so, we'll not so. dig into that too much. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I wonder if it's because, uh, and I will get back to the whole your whole um, MMA like martial arts story mm-hmm. in a minute i know we've got off on a huge tangent here about jiu-jitsu yeah, yeah, yeah. um i wonder if jiu-jitsu not being a spectator sport kind of helps that because it's mm. not like going into a cage where you've got like yeah. okay there's two of you you're the only two yeah. fighting and there's like 500 people watching you mm. minimum more in a big arena yeah. mm. whereas jiu-jitsu you know there are people around yeah. the side because yeah. even with Thai boxing, when you do an interclub, some idiot turns up with 50 of his mates who he's told it's a fight and they're all there yeah. screaming thinking it's a real fight. There's always somebody like that. You never get that at BJJ comp. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess, yeah, realistically, people, if, if you're at a BJJ comp, you're either, you know, competing or you're part of the, the gym. So, you're, you know, again, you're someone who does the sport. It's like an MMA show. It's like the guys that kick off in the crowd. It's never the MMA fighters or people who train even casually in MMA it's always yeah they're, they're drunk mates who have come along and seem to start trouble yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you've not got yeah. the same jeering and you've not got um it's not the same pressure in a jiu-jitsu competition because mm-hmm. especially most of them at least when it's not a show it, it's kind of diluted because if there's another 10 mats with people on there you're like well at least not everyone's watching me i've done matches where i don't think anyone in my team realized i was competing and actually saw me yeah. do it you can, you can just get lost it, all, if you know you yeah there's always that moment in there where you sort of you hear your name somewhere and you have no idea you know i mean you're like halfway through halfway through eating your lunch or something yeah. and whatever <laughs> and you always see people die into different mats and yeah, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's still, it's a stressful environment and it certainly is, you know, your adrenaline is going to be going and stuff like that. But you're right. I think when there's not such an immediate risk, like head trauma or, you know, just serious injury and stuff like that, like even, even you know, you see clips on YouTube or a BJJ comp, there doesn't seem to be the same attitude of like, you know, keep, keep the submission until the referee tells you to stop. You know I mean? As soon as they feel their opponent tap, they let go with a few 
notable exceptions, obviously, but generally, you know, people are pretty good. They just let go and, you know, they shake hands and that's, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really, um, you don't really get the same uh, problems in jiu-jitsu. It's just chronic injuries that really affect people. <laughs> Everybody's limping to the mat. That's the big one. No knees, no lower back. Yeah. <laughs> your neck's all crooked. But people will yeah. let go before they break your arm. Yeah. You, have a hug, yeah. you have a hug afterwards. That's fine. Unlike an that's elevation, that, yeah. where the safest place probably sometimes is in the cage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, to get back to it, um, right? So judo six months rules have changed quite a lot in the meantime. Um, yeah. yeah. Was it? What was the next transition? Like, why did you leave judo? Uh, so weirdly, it was actually an injury in judo. Uh, so I injured my arm. Um, nothing major. It was just sort of got a little bit hyperextended where somebody landed on it. And yeah, I just started. That's when I sort of started watching MMA a little bit more. Um, so I actually, my transition to starting MMA, I kind of went in whilst coming back from an injury, which is a little bit weird. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know why that was that point. So for a while, I kind of trained judo alongside MMA, and I'd, I'd do a class of MMA, and then I'd be like, "Oh, sorry, I've got to, I've got to run off. I'd have my gear in my bag, and I'd I'd run off down the road and go to judo." Um, and then eventually, it was just like, "Yeah, judo's just got a bit of shit. I'm just going to actually commit to the MMA. This is way more fun." Like, yeah, there's punching and kicking and all sorts of all sorts of good stuff. So. That was the transition, really. So you don't really know. Wait, hang on. So you don't know why you joined judo. You no. don't really know why you moved over to. Like after you got to MMA, you knew it was more fun, but you don't know why you went to MMA in the first place. No, it literally. This is the thing. It just like I always hear people talking about their their big influences of getting into combat sport and stuff like that. And I'm like, nah, I didn't. I you know, I mean, I, it's not like I mean, yeah, I always enjoyed martial arts films when I was a kid and whatever, but. I, I never had this big dream of like, and I, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of guys, you, kind of, you can see it in gyms as well, you know, you, you see these guys coming in and maybe they're about to do their first in the club or something like that. And they're really like kind of bashful about it. And oh, I don't know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's fine. You know, cause you see these people on TV, like, oh, I always knew I was going to be a champion. And I was going to change the world and I was going to make my millions and stuff. And it's like, well, I, I don't think a lot of people genuinely get into it for that reason i mean they they either stumble into it or they think oh yeah it'll be a good way to keep fit or build confidence or whatever whatever it might be um and i think some people feel a little bit uh almost like oh if i don't have this grand reason then i don't know it's almost not as like not worthy that's not the word i'm looking for but legitimate something like that i don't know yeah, but no, I, I, I just fell into it, to be honest. No, I mean, I know what you mean. I know what you mean because I have no idea why I started competing. I kind of, I know why I started martial arts. It's because I was a really fat child and my mum wanted me to do exercise. Um, that's why I started karate back in the day um, yeah. and taekwondo. Don't know why I kept it up, though. Don't know why I was like, I'm going to start doing competitions. And then after Taekwondo, I was like, I want to actually punch something, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Yeah. Suddenly I'm doing jujitsu and MMA and everything. 
To be fair, I my kind of feel- was similar. I was a fat kid, but before that, I did karate. I ran out of a karate gym. My dad taught me as a kid. But I did have an inspiration. I watched too much Dragon Ball Z and was like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Yeah. But do you know why you started competing and stuff? See, that one I do kind of remember. But again, it was it was very, it was a really impulsive thing. So I used to, work the gym that I used to train at in Reading, Gods of War, um, they used to have berserk of rules so that was their their inner club yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah we used to have like obviously a few of the guys from from exile used to come up for it and um yeah they were really good and there were basically there was one coming up and some of the guys who were on the fight team at the time this is way before i was anywhere near looking to be on on a fight team or anything like that i was just the the skinny kid with kind of a, a, a shit Mohican kind of coming to some of the classes and seeing what was going on. And one of them just in passing was like, oh yeah, you should just jump in and do a grappling match or something. And I was like, uh, yeah, all right, why not? And that was it. I just put my name forward and yeah, just me and one of the other guys from the gym um, just had a, a grappling match and that was that was how it all started really. Yeah, but again, I, I kind of feel that because it, it, it feels almost like there wasn't a big reason. Mm. It's not like you're going out to test yourself. Not like you're like, no. you're like, I need to do this. You're just like, just kind of end up, end up competing yeah. somehow. And you end up on <laughs> yeah. the grappling mat. The ref suddenly between you just go, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, that classic thing. Because obviously, it, like it was in the cage in the gym as well. So it's that, almost that classic thing. You know, you hear the door lock behind you. It's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> How has this happened? Um, but so no, I mean, yeah, that, that, that was, yeah, that, that was kind of my first taste. So other than sort of judo competition when I was like a, a really young kid, which I hated, I used to hate competing in judo. Um, I'd get myself really worked up about it. I just didn't enjoy it at all. Um, and then, yeah, grappling match at the Inter Club, that was fine. Did another Inter Club from there. Um, and then yeah, that was it. Next one was was a show, I think. Might have done a couple more in the clubs, but yeah. And before I knew it, yeah, I you know was fighting amateur. My first amateur fight, I got yeah, I looked like I could hit by a truck. Um, yeah, I literally actually, I think I worked, I worked part time at HMV at that time, and I went in. Like the Monday after, and my boss was like, "If any customer asks, just tell him you were in a car crash." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I fought on Saturday, absolutely bad, and I was back in the gym on Monday. So you know, I I, I clearly had it. It hooked me by that stage, definitely. Did you uh, Did you win the first one? No. Nah. Oh no! No, I very much. Yes, kind of good. I, um, if you're beaten up and your face is swollen, but you've won, you can kind of pass it a bit. It hurts a bit more if your face is swollen afterwards and you've lost. Oh no! Yeah, no. It was. Uh, oh god! I, I, I took the fight ends up being fairly short notice. I can't remember the guy's name, but it turned out he was like some sort of Midlands boxing champion or something. And uh, I mean, I made it into the second round at least, so that was good. But yeah, Solid. I think yeah, by that stage the ref was like, "Nah, you're you're done, mate." So that was that first one out of the way. 
but you came back. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, I think I had nine, nine or 10 amateur fights. Um, so I think, yeah, I lost the first one, one sort of three or four, lost another one, stuff like that. So kind of, yeah, I, you know, I had an all right run at amateur, some good, good fights. Um, obviously, like everyone, I had the situation where you end up kind of fighting people that were like late notice step-ins and stuff like that. So you don't really gain as much from your, your amateur career as you could have done. I think that's one thing my coach at the time and now my, my coach again, Phil, um, Phil Els, who used to run God's War. He used to say at amateur, like, yeah, well, we want you to fight these guys that are going to, like, drag you into deep water. You know, we want you to fight guys. We want you to lose almost, you know. It's like we don't want you to get hurt, but you need these experiences of, um, yeah, you know, fighting, like, aggressive wrestlers or really skilled strikers and stuff like that. We're going to really push you in, in different areas. Um, so that when – and even stuff like fighting southpaws, you know, like – the orthodox fighters trip tonight if you can fight some southpaws at amateur you kind of get that that unknown entity out out of the way and um yeah i was booked actually i was booked to fight some southpaws i think every single one fell through so i never fought a southpaw and then my first pro fight was against the southpaw so i always wonder about that though because Mm. um coaches uh, managers, wh- wh- whatever they are at amateur, because they all end up being the same person anyway. Um, mm. I know I always hear people say, okay, you, you, record doesn't matter. You want to fight all these people to get different looks. But was your goal to turn pro at that time? Were you, were you aiming to make a living out of that? After a while, yes. I mean, definitely not immediately. I mean, again, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to take some fights. I'm going to, you know, see how I find it, just doing it for fun. But I think, yeah, once you get the bug, I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a real, like, make a career out of this. Like, this is going to pay my mortgage. But, yeah, the, the idea of fighting pro was, was sort of in my mind. Um, so, yeah, I could definitely understand the logic of saying oh yeah get get these experiences now and but it's one of them again I'm, i can appreciate that now in retrospect like at the time you know i understood that and i thought yeah that's true but equally you're kind of your ego then steps in and says but oh i really want to fight these guys and, and lose or whatever um but yeah definitely now i'd say like if you're amateur just just get the experience you know don't be stupid obviously and have a fight every week and you know be out god knows what kind of head trauma before you know it but yeah be sensible provided you've got a good coach who you trust and then you can get on some you know reliable shows and they're well matched and stuff like that like yeah there's no reason not to get as much experience as you possibly can really yeah i mean the head trauma side of things is a big, um, it's a big deal at the moment. I feel like in the past few years, or maybe a little longer than that, the past five or six years, people have really started changing their tack on it. Mm. But I kind of wonder, like, I very much like to think that you don't need to put yourself in positions where you're getting massive amounts of head trauma to be really good. But then you, hear, mm-hmm. you do hear a lot of professionals disagreeing with that. 
like you, you, you know, you have to spar. Well, not that they say you have to have head trauma, but you have to spar hard yeah. and you have to go through that situation. Do you yeah. think you need to, to get the experience you need for professional? Do you need, think you need to have gym wars or do you think the sort of softer approach is the right way? Uh, it, is, it is difficult. I mean, I think it, it can really depend on the person. I think, you know, light technical sort of play sparring, like that typical sort of like tie approach to sparring um, can be really beneficial. You know, it gives you, you know, you're, you're training your eyes or your fight IQ, all these things, you know, your your flow. Thing, things become more instinctive and you don't have the fear of accidentally getting knocked out. But then, I know obviously there's a lot of other things in the middle before you get to like the opposite end of the scale. But the opposite end, I think, I mean, I personally, I think hard sparring definitely has a place, but with within a, a, an actual team, you know, like that team, it needs to be established like that. Basically, you need, you need to trust each other. Like if you, if you catch them, you're not just going to get bloodlust and go after them and start smashing them to pieces. You know, it's like if you, if you hurt them, yeah, you want to hurt them and you can, you know, keep. Sorry, not you want to hurt them. That's not what I mean. You know, if if you catch them flush, no, I, I I get it. Like you, we we had a whole yeah, podcast yeah. on that, like wanting to it's, hurt them, but also not wanting to hurt. Yeah, them. exactly. Yeah, you want to just you know, there, there's a fine line, and I think it takes a certain degree of experience to be able to spar like that. Um, like I mean, I I still remember like years ago. Um, again, Phil coach when he was getting ready for a fight. And it was the first time that I was thrown into like one of his like, shark tanks to just help him. And I, you know, at this time I would have been like one of the last guys in there. So he was, he was exhausted. And initially I just wouldn't really hit him properly because again, I still didn't have that kind of gauge to know like, okay, yeah, cool. I, I can hit you this hard, but oh no, that's, that's too hard or, or whatever. Just reading person I, th I think there's definitely a, a place for that but yeah it needs to be with teammates that that just know where that line is basically and and with coach who can yeah keep keep an eye on it as well when you've got guys going into the gym just two guys closed door session beating the shit out of each other that's maybe not the best approach i think you're right what you said at the end there as well it's there's a real important role of the coach to be able to control it and because Sometimes you do lose your head and sometimes you do kind of both go for each other. And like, you need that coach who's got eyes on, who's like, well, stop now. Like end yeah. of the round, yeah, call yeah. it there. Cause you can't, you can go too far. Like, I've lost my head in sparring probably more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that, that, but that's another, that's another important part of it, isn't it? I guess it's like learning to kind of control your temper. You know, because I mean, there's always time. Someone will like catch you, or oh, you've you can't hear you, mate. Any better? <sighs> oh, no, I can, I can hear you fine. Yeah, Lee, can you hear him? Yep. It's just me. You can't. Yeah. All right. Any better? Oh, he's, he's back. Never mind. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. I thought I assumed Lee can That's hear you cool. either. No, <laughs> you just ruined oh, the podcast for me. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. It's all my fault. <laughs> I can't remember what this is right now. Oh, fuck. Uh, <sighs> saying about it, it kind of, I don't know, temper. temper and stuff like that. You know, like when people catch you and 
yeah, we've all had it. Like you're, you know, you're rolling. Maybe you're, maybe you're just exhausted, or they've caught you with a technique that they shouldn't have caught you with, or something like that. And you, or they're just, you feel like they're going a bit harder than they should be. And rather than just being like, oh, can we just cool it down a bit? You find yourself raising it up as well, and thinking, oh, well, I'll just hit them hard as well. And then before you know it, this hundred kilo guy has decided to put you through the floor, and it's like, well, that doesn't really help anyone. I think that's a big as well is the weight side of it. I think gyms I grew up in as a kid were always just like just part of everybody. And like yeah. actually when I'm 61 kilos and this guy's 98 and 10 years older than me and I'm 17, it's like, no, yeah. I, I shouldn't be doing hard sparring with this guy. Like it's that is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like again, I think you know, if, if that guy is like an experienced, you know, athlete, he, you know, whatever the combat sport might be if they're experienced it's maybe a little bit different mm-hmm. you know and again they've got kind of like the the wherewithal like because we all know what it's like like sparring say kickboxing is a really good example of this if you get someone in on like day one or okay maybe not day one they should not be sparring on day one but they're still they're really really new but they're just at the point of starting to spar they can be the worst people to spar they always make yeah. you look shit because you can't possibly predict what they're going to do because they don't even know what they're going to do. So it's just, it's just a nightmare, you know, and they end up like accidentally throwing like a really hard leg kick or kicking you in the balls or something stupid yeah. like that. Um, yeah, and it, it takes a certain degree of experience not to get wound up about that. And again, yeah, it's, it's yeah, but I think you're right. Choice of sparring partners can be massive. And especially yeah coming back to sort of the whole head trauma debate uh, and stuff like that i mean you know certainly if you're getting ready for a fight and you're doing like hard you know if you want to call them shark tank rounds or whatever and you get thrown in some 90 kilo guy who just wants to be the shit out of someone that yeah no one's going to come out of that looking good really i've I've got my own thoughts on why beginners make people look terrible because they do like mm. almost universally sparring beginners makes you look terrible. I think it's because they don't know the danger that they're in because yeah. the way to beat a beginner, I think a way to beat someone who's less experienced than you is to pressure them and scare them because mm. you hit them, they'll cover up. The trouble yeah. is that when you get, um, because you know, beginners go against beginners, like, they don't go that like they can go mental, but they sometimes back off. Mm. I always find, um, but but also you can't pressure a beginner like that. Otherwise, you're the dick. Yeah. It's very hard to get to the position where you can let someone know that they're in a dangerous situation. They shouldn't just go mental, mm. but also not beating them up. And it takes quite a lot of experience <laughs> to do that. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Beginner sparring beginners is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially like young, you know, because I've been in gyms before as well where you've got like young guys from like 15, 16, 17, and they kind of spar together. And it's very much like just like pubescent sparring, man. It's just a hormonal. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the big dog here. You're not going to beat me. I'm going to beat you. And it's just like, oh my god. But then I get, you know, we've probably, we've all been that guy at some point, like without a doubt. And some people still are, no matter how old they get. So, 
yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. Again, though, that's the coach part, isn't it? That's where the coach needs to come in and tell these people not to spar each other. Yeah. Um, the worst worst ones I've seen are always where people come in and they organise their own sessions, yeah. come yeah. in on their own at yeah. the weekend without a coach there. You just see people laying into each other. Yeah. The closed doors ones, it's like you said. Yeah, the uh, like open mat bloodbath sparring, and it's just like, oh my god, just just stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that, that's that's the thing as well. I think the you know the the kind of the you know the methodology within coaching and stuff is obviously a rapidly evolving. Like, there's not that many. Well, that that I can name, I don't actually know of any kind of MMA coaches at an even remotely high level who are like who still have like a really old school mentality of like, yeah, you, you know, you have to bleed in training. You have to be, you know, getting thrown in and uh, that kind of almost like the old school boxing mentality. You like, the, you like, you like watch the old sparring footage from Mike Tyson, just knocking people out. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like there's not many coaches left that are like that. I think they've all started just thinking a bit more, I guess, maybe and it, about, yeah brain trauma because everyone knows about it now yeah and uh, i think what concerns me a bit is that there's a bit of an attitude that to become great at striking and mma you have to start sparring from quite a young age and as far as i can tell um that sparring at a really young age is when it's most detrimental Mm -hmm. yeah yeah But so not only is it the most detrimental getting hit in the head at a young age, but it's also when you're hitting each other in a stupid, mm. hard way yeah. and, mm. and scrapping it. I always think it's a bit of a concern that people feel like they have to spar that young in order to become good later on. Whereas, mm. I mean, I don't want to base everything I am saying on like freak athletes, but Israel Adesanya only started kickboxing in his early 20s, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I, want to pick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, but then I guess, yeah, he, again, it is difficult with not picking like freak kind of, it's like sort of looking at Ronnie Coleman for like bodybuilding or something. And you know what I mean? But I, I see what you mean, but it, uh, but then he's a prime example of someone who walked in and was like, well, I want to be a world champion. I want to be an MMA world champion. So the story goes, you know, so his, his coach is like, well, we're going to make you a kickboxing world champion first and sort of build him up. And I mean, well, by the sound of it, he obviously committed his life to it and became amazing because of it and then made his transition to, to MMA. Um, but I mean, yeah, to, to have not even been kickboxing at all until you're into your twenties and to do that is, is amazing. No matter how you look at it, whether you're a free athlete or not, that's still, still crazy. Yeah. Because at the younger age, yes. I, always, I always thought it was around being comfortable and experimenting. So that play sparring, get comfortable, like try and throw a spinning back kick. Like, oh, it's shit, but yeah. you like it or you're good yeah. at it. Or, oh, look, you've got a good rear head kick or a try an axe kick or whatever. Like, like, just experiment with your body, see what you're good at, see if you're a puncher or a mm. wrestler or whatever. And then... Mm when you're looking to compete and you're a bit older and it's in like a camp or camp as we've gone to, but when you're then ready to compete up the sparring a bit, 
I, I, I listened to Leon Edwards on Joe Rogan. He was saying he doesn't spar outside of camp. He was saying in camp he does because he's preparing for a fight and he's kind of conditioned himself mm-hmm. to be hit in the face. Whereas out of camp, it's let's learn technique, let's learn new skills, let's get comfortable. I, to me, I think it's the same with kids. You let kids grow accustomed to striking or wrestling or whatever, and then the intensity just dials up when they're ready to compete. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's not, I mean, if you like with a fight camp, obviously, typically, maybe, maybe if you've got a long camp and you can build it around like say 12 weeks I mean even then you know you could split that up so your first four weeks you're kind of you're building up into your camp you know your your second four weeks that's where you'd get your much harder sparring in maybe if you're going to do really hard sparring that's where it's going to be and then your final three or four weeks you're still sparring but yeah you're not doing heavy heavy sparring and you're not looking to pick up injuries or kind of taper into the fight and yeah dialing in those you know finer skills but then yeah it's right if if you work in fight camps then definitely between camps you want to be yeah working your skill set surely yeah you mentioned about um well you mentioned that Asanya was one of those guys who came into the gym um wanting to be a champion um Mm. I don't want to focus too much on the freak athletes and the champions because I'm a bit more interested in how it affects most people, sort of normal people training. And Mm. one thing that you hear quite often uh, and quite a lot of hardcore guys promoting is if you're not intending to be the best in the world, you shouldn't do it. You must have heard people saying this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that's legit? Uh Do you think that's uh, a pile of shit? Because I think I know where I lean. I I think that's absolute bullshit. I think I think if you apply that logic to everything, no one would fucking do anything. You know what I mean? Like, why do something if you can only be like the number one in, in the world at it? Um, just just go and do it. I mean, yeah, it, it's difficult because like you know, if you're competitive, like I'm really competitive. I always and certainly I think growing up and over the past few years and even now to a degree you know certain things I'll just kind of have that mindset like well if I can't win then I don't want to play you know what I mean it's like I'm shit at Scrabble I don't want to play Scrabble because I know I won't win you know what I mean but it's like but if you enjoy it just just do it you know and I think yeah MMA there's more I think there is a bit more of that now because people are starting to tout it as you know just get fit just Mm-hmm. learn some new skills do something if you then want to take it a bit further that's cool you don't have to um it's becoming a bit more accessible to people i guess yeah i mean i've always thought it kind of detracts from what the actual value of stuff like jujitsu and mma could be because mm. i get that you can make a shit ton of money by being the best in the world but I just don't feel like that's the main benefit. I feel like there's a lot to learn for it, just for just normal guys. But then you get people like I've heard Matt Brown saying it. Matt Brown, when he retired before, he said he retired yeah. because he didn't think he could be the best in the world, and he doesn't think you should do it mm-hmm. if you can't be the best in the world. He came back, so clearly he sees some benefit in it. But yeah, yeah. I always think it's Maybe kind of a shame because it's not the right fight. You know, the right fight for the right money. That's... Or someone turned up outside his house with a truck full of dollar bills or something. Yeah, <laughs> certainly that would that would get 
anyone in the cage, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought there's a lot of benefit for it, especially for like the, you know, even outside of the sport, the community aspect and all that. I always think it's kind of a shame that you'd think you'd have to be some ultra competitor to even dip your toe in. That's, I, I think no, socially is a big one. Sorry, socially is a big yeah. one. Like, if you look at how many kids you've seen in the gym who are like 14, 15, 16, who quiet, timid, maybe a bit awkward, I might flourish and come out of the shell because of martial arts. You lose that because them kids are not going to turn up and go, I'm going to be a world champ. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, and, and that's the thing, I think it's, and that can kind of apply to anyone as well, whether it's kids growing up or, you know, adults coming in who maybe just aren't, aren't that confident or, and I mean, you know, it's it's always nerve wracking going into any new gym, like even if you're, you know, experienced and you know what you're doing, if you walk, if, you know, if you move or you just go to train at a new gym or whatever, you're still going to be nervous walking through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so for someone like brand new coming into that environment, they're obviously it's going to be intimidating but yeah you can you can quickly get like a real almost like family kind of environment i think in in the right gym you know um you'll always have your kind of key friends i'm sure you know within that obviously but um i think yeah it it can be a real like massive part of, of people's lives and and it will have nothing to do with making money or being the best in the world it just makes their life a little bit better or yeah whatever it might be you know well that's it as as we come out of lockdown you've got two people here me and robbie who are going to be new gym goers somewhere so uh, we'll have the nerves of going in and figuring out who the enforcer is and having a chat with them exactly Uh, you know what I'm all right. I am such a creanch that at this point, turning up to new gyms is, it's actually stopped being nerve wracking. I understand what you're saying. Like turning up to new gyms, yeah, yeah, yeah. new people, right? I've just, I've just quit on so many places now. Just, I've had <laughs> just zero gym loyalty, just walked into so really? many places that, you know. My fear, is, my fear is I get in and somebody goes, oh, you're that dickhead with an opinion on a podcast. Let's beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't I didn't like that thing you said. Fortunately, we are not even close to that famous, so no. uh, I wouldn't worry <laughs> too much about that one. That's it, mate. What do you always think about this? Um what do you think about like people cross-training, going to other places? Do you think because uh, I I think it's a bit more of an old school mentality. I don't think it's something yeah. that's so prevalent nowadays, but it definitely mm. used to be a thing. Like no one calls anyone a creonch. Well, partly because we're not Brazilian uh, and yeah. Portuguese, yeah. but also because, you know, no one calls anyone a traitor nowadays. Mm. Uh, although, you know, now and then they do. I reckon if someone hopped over from Exile to Jim one or vice versa, mm. yeah. you know, they don't really see eye to eye. Yeah, I mean, I think it... It depends on the situation and why it's being done and how it's handled, I guess. You know, it's like, um, you know, say you, you train at an MMA gym, but you train BJJ somewhere else. You know, I think that's fine. Um, and I think, it, yeah, there, there's normally some sort of relationship between gyms. So maybe, you know, 
from an inter club. So for, down at Gods of War, Gods of War, where we'd have an inter club, we'd have a few gyms in, and that would establish a relationship. And then it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to nip down to Exile and do some sparring down there, or it's not a problem, you know. Um, I don't really see the issue with people training at multiple gyms, but it's kind of it's bit me in the ass over like the last how many years, basically since turning pro, because you know the kind of there's a bit of a story behind it, so I'll condense it. <laughs> but Phil, the owner of God Support, he had to move to America, so a, a group of us kind of kept the gym running for a few years. Um, and that's how I had my sort of like last couple of amateur fights during that time and my first pro fight. Um, the gym then closed. And so I basically was left without a head coach. So I then had three more pro fights without a head coach, basically controlling my own training, going to multiple places, consistent places. You know, I'd be at, be at, be at exile uh, a couple of times a week. I'd be at the same jiu-jitsu academy, all that sort of stuff. So it's consistent places, but I was my own head coach. And personally, I just don't think that works. I think, you know, if you're, if you're going to cross train, fine, but you have to have a head coach who brings it all together and who is an MMA coach. That's the big important thing with that, I think. What, what do you think you was missing by not having a head coach and doing it yourself? Like, what, like, what, what do you think the gaps were like for you? Mate, probably just uh just direction you know i think it, it was really it's really easy so like a trap i fell into was like oh well i'm training really hard so so that's good yeah it, 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 you know it's like well i, I wasn't getting like, like oh really skills practice is is king you know but i fell into the trap of like just doing more strength and conditioning and i was you know working really hard and still doing skills skill sessions um and, and doing my sparring but just, yeah, my, my focus was too much on my strength and conditioning. Um, and a head coach would have, would have pulled me away from that, I think. Well, I, well I, I wouldn't have even ended up going in that direction, you know what I mean? Because I would have had that structure in the first place. Because um, I've, I've heard that where like a, you need a coach to kind of keep you on the track of if you're a jiu-jitsu yeah. guy not just sticking a gi on for your training camp and if you're a striker just doing boxing classes like it it helps give you that breadth of what you need to cover to get to the fight successfully yeah I, definitely i've kind of thought that especially for me um when i was training uh when i was training exile with dan mm -hmm. um you know dan obviously had all the skills aspects and um you know advised Actually, no, I think Dan kind of just let me, just told me, just train what you think is sensible um, mm. in terms of skills. Actually, what I think Dan did most is tell me to not train. I remember doing one of um, one of those uh, those fitness uh, fitness tie boxing classes. And Dan's, yeah. um, Dan's grappling one is afterwards. And I finished the class yeah. and Dan just comes up to me. He just goes, are you all right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, go home. <laughs> I was so overtrained for that match. And I think if Dan wasn't yeah. there to like pull you back, mm. it would have been messy. Like, I think so it's a bit different for everyone, but I think the one thing a coach mm. can't do is be the guy who has to encourage you to get into the gym. Mm -hmm. Because no, as soon as he does that, not. that's the one thing it can't be. But everything else, I think it just depends who you are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it's. 
for me, the big things were just the overall structure, to be honest, like having a consistent one location to train at um, was what was really is what I've missed for the last few years. Um, and yeah, just having that direction that is kind of given to you, you know, not spoon fed. I don't think that's the case because I think you're responsible for your own development ultimately as much as much as your coaches um and yet you're responsible for getting yourself in the gym and, and doing the work um but again yeah even like we were saying before you know you need that coach to be watching over your sparring you know seeing like right that's too hard that's not hard enough that there's a weakness there that needs addressing whatever it might be and yeah telling you to take your foot off the pedal every every so often and saying right yeah this session just just cut this session out this week go home go to bed so one thing I wonder is how much well, I'll explain this one a sec in a, a little bit. How much trust do you think you should put into your coach in that case? Because uh, the thing that puzzles me is that people do say so some people think you should have a coach who just tells you everything and you just put your head down and you fucking do it. Mm. Do you think that's the right attitude or do you think it's more, do you think you should? Because Ryan Hall, for example, said he got really good by questioning everything his coach told him. Yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate to be the one that just says somewhere in the middle, but I, you know, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I think just from like a being someone that your coach wants in the class perspective, if you question absolutely everything, your coach is probably going to fucking hate you. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, I think, you know, it will be like trying to coach the Riddler. It would just get out of hand. But I think there is definitely a time and place for that. And and ultimately, you need to pick and choose things as well. You know, it's like, well, my, you know, say oh, my coach is like a six foot tall heavyweight. You know, I'm a five foot seven flyweight. There are going to be things that they might coach that won't, wouldn't apply to me or, or whatever or just some things that or again that's a whole other issue as well if, if your coach is somebody who actually still trains themselves that then changes the dynamic as well because I think that that is quite rare a lot of coaches stand on the outside whereas I think if you have a coach who also still trains or competes they might fall into just teaching their style and teaching how they fight and that can obviously become an issue. So I think, yeah, there's a, a fine balance to that, I think, definitely. My main issue with just trusting what coaches say is that, all right, so well, the main reason people pick gyms is that they lived near to them. That's yeah, the main yeah. reason you pick gyms, right? So most of the yeah. time, you're, you've picked a coach because he's the coach at the gym that you live near to. There's not a good criteria for picking a someone to train with. Or maybe you're lucky. Maybe you've got two or three to choose from. It's not yeah. more than that. Mm. And then advice that comes from coaches, it's not like, um, you know, MMA is not a very well-established sport in a lot of ways. It's not like, I feel like if I went and did something like, um, you know, rugby, there are yeah. some very clear guidelines on how to get good mm -hmm. at rugby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are very clear guidelines, even on wrestling to pick a more close example, like people, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's, 
in terms of physicality, it's lean muscle mass, lactic threshold, and I and and time on the mat and time spent mm. training. Those are your three mm. clear things for picking who wins. I have no idea what they are for MMA, and the yeah, advice yeah. is so disparate and varied about what I get from MMA. I, I always feel like if I go somewhere, obviously they're more experienced than me and I should take everything they say into consideration. But how can I trust that it's gospel when mm. if I'd lived two miles down the road, I might be talking to someone else who'd say something completely different? Yeah, yeah, true. I, I think is yeah, it's especially with something like MMA, like I say, it's, it's a really young sport to the point where, like I sort of touched on earlier, there are still some sort of more old school coaches involved in it, maybe running sort of smaller gyms or in more isolated areas or whatever. Um, and I think that becomes a real issue because ultimately MMA is a weight class sport as well. So you then get them sort of hanging out weight cut advice and getting guys to do ridiculous things and trying to cut, you know, 10 kilos in a week and it just yeah that then become again opens up a whole new can of worms when not only are you taking gospel for your technique and your how you prepare for a fight but you're also relying on them to guide you through losing what can be quite a dramatic amount of weight in quite an aggressive way sometimes and yeah. I think also the level I mean, I guess... you're fighting at as well. So I think mm. you're going to need as a pro different styles of coaching or different things to focus on than a guy who's two fights in. Because you see yeah. with amateur MMA coaches and kind of lower level amateur MMA coaches, they tend to be like, everybody's skill levels poor and to the left of the arc. So let's be the fittest and the strongest. Because if you can last yeah. into that second and third round, you've got a good chance of winning. Whereas you, you're however many fights in, we can bank on that you're going to be fit and be able to do three rounds. This is when skill becomes the big differentiator. And I think if the coach is only looking after kind of lower level fighters, you probably then need to go to a coach who's looked after pros or has coached people at this level to give you the right advice. So I don't think there's one coach for kind of every section of your career. I don't know if Greg Jackson would be as successful teaching O and O, O and one fighters in the amateur levels. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I'd, I'd not really thought of it from that kind of angle really but yeah i mean that does that does make sense i mean you can apply that to any other area of your life can't you like you know you you outgrow a job or you outgrow the house you live in or whatever why wouldn't you outgrow yeah your coach or, or whatever but again i guess that then comes down to people being called traitors and stuff like that and calls in like, <laughs> yeah there you go like right well how do you handle it you know and it's that then yeah that, that's where it becomes more difficult for people i suppose people can get really coaches and gym owners can get very possessive over mm. fighters mm. um you know what i always think though is that it's always made worse when you see them training at another gym and you don't know why that's always the worst thing like we said about this before it's all about it's all a communication thing yeah. like if yeah. someone went to you they went thank you for the time you put him to me I really appreciate it, but I need to move on because of these reasons. That's one thing. When mm. you just see someone just like, hey, 
loving my new gym yeah. while I post it up on Instagram. That's it. Yeah, all social media now and that. You, know, you can't do anything. Someone's going to find out. So you've got to make sure you know, tell them first before they see you tagged in a photo on Instagram or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I do kind of Just get that, though. I mean, I, I, I kind of get that, though. Like, the being possessive is rude, but, you know... It, well, being possessed is, is terrible, but if you do see someone over somewhere else, it's almost like, I don't know, if you saw your mates just like all hanging out together without you. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I do. I can, I can totally understand like a coach or, or a gym owner or whatever being, yeah, being pissed off about that. Like 100%. I think, again, it just comes back to actually communicating what you're, yeah I guess that again comes down to the question about you know do you just take what your coach says as gospel just put your head down listen to what they say and it's like well no actually it should probably be more two-way especially yeah like you said once you're you know beyond your first few fights and you're kind of starting to find your own style and how you like to like to fight I mean yeah that it is it's a bit more it becomes more two-way I think there is a limit to it, you know, ultimately, if your coach can see that what you're just saying, what you're saying to avoid a certain type of training or, or something like that, you just say, oh, no, I just, I, I hate jiu-jitsu. I, I'm going to skip all the jiu-jitsu sessions, whatever, then, yeah, they need to reel that in. But otherwise, just it's communication with your coach, you know, I think. Yeah. So I guess we should look at rounding it out now. Um one thing I'm kind of wondering is, well, I'm assuming, are you still planning on fighting more mm. after this lockdown? Why are you still yeah. doing it? What? Why are you still doing it? And what is yeah. it that you want to do and get out of it? Yeah. Uh, is this where you say you want to be the best yeah. ever and go yeah. down? <laughs> Just go against everything I've I'm said. Be the next Conor McGregor. Give me anyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it. Again, it sounds really cool. It's kind of for me, like it's always been like I say, like when I was a kid, like I hated competing uh, in judo and stuff like that. And kind of as I got older, I'm actually able to kind of think about it a bit more and be a bit more kind of critical of, of what's happening. It's for me, like the the winning and losing isn't actually as important as I always kind of put the pressure on. Um, losing sucks. Like losing is shit. Like nobody can say they don't mind or whatever. But if I lose but feel like I've put on a good show and, you know, I mean, I feel like I've shown what I can do, I've put forward a good representation of myself or my, and my gym and that kind of thing, then, you know, that very much takes the sting off it. Mm-hmm. But I'm yet to do that. Certain, you know, I'd argue even at amateur, I never really did that, but certainly at pro. Um I'm yet to actually put on a performance that, that I'm happy with. So it's only now that I'm going to, well, it was just obviously before all the lockdowns and this absolute shit show. I was kind of, you know, established, you know, regular training, good team, all this sort of stuff. So I can kind of start moving back into that and just get the ball rolling with it again and go from there, start actually trying to put on some decent, decent performances. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, hopefully it all goes back to it all goes back to normal in a couple of months. Um, we're yeah. not too sure our gym's ever opening up again, so uh, we're going to have to really. Yeah, that's why we're ending up at new gyms. That and right. Moving. That and you don't so, live yeah. in London anymore. <laughs> hey, I didn't live in London. We thought it closed way before I moved out of London. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, I had such big plans for 2020. Never mind. Yeah, that's it, man. I think, you know, I think my certainly for me, like my road back to MMA, like after my last MMA fight, which is quite a while ago now, I took a bit of time out just to focus on BJJ, and then I was like, right after this competition, I'm going to go back to MMA. Then at that competition, I ruptured two ligaments in my knee, so then I had to re deal with the rehab of that, and then I had different fights falling through, and then the lockdown happened. So again, man. That is a question I'd quickly like to touch on. In Mm. the amateurs, it seems everybody and their uncle drops out of fights every time you get matched. Mm. That carry over into the pros? Uh, uh, I wouldn't say to the same degree. Not that I've found um, anyway. I mean, yeah, I, I, I had one at the end of 2019. I was meant to fight in November 2019. That would have been my first fight back after quite a while. Um, and the guy pulled out two days before because he apparently been arrested um, and broken his hand. Um, but I then, I did then see him at the show. Um, so I not up close, but I mean his hand looks fine. I don't know what the story was behind <laughs> that, but um, but yeah, no, I think generally if you're fighting pro you know you, you'd hope they're going to actually be professional so. yeah 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 i wouldn't count on it though no I've not always. a lot of mma fighters and uh yeah i'm not sure i could count on that yeah <laughs> again i guess that comes down to your gym is your coach and you know what are yeah. they kind of yeah yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, pullouts are at a ridiculous rate in amateur, so you'd hope they'd drop a bit in in, in pro, but yeah, I no, guess not. Yeah, I think it does. Ultimately, it does come down to you know, it's a dangerous sport, isn't it? And again, that comes back to how do you spar and and all these sorts of questions. So yeah, injuries happen and stuff like that. But yeah, I think if if you've got a legitimate reason for dropping out, then drop out you know oh, yeah. I, i've certainly i've certainly made the mistake a few more than once of fighting when i maybe should have considered dropping out or, or whatever but it's it happens there. it's all part of the part of the game i guess i mean i've seen it the other way where they see their opponent weigh in and go nah fuck this and just leave so i think that probably yeah. so pros. <laughs> yeah. yeah i've seen I, i've seen that happen yeah it's that typical thing everyone thinks of like blind dates and it's like do you think they turned up and saw you and left and it's like yeah they've turned up seen how fucking jacked you are yeah. like <laughs> yeah. we hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please consider subscribing to the podcast and checking us out on youtube facebook and instagram under the name combat thoughts we'll see you next time